The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. If you've ever been in the midst of a conflict you can't resolve, if you are challenged with an issue, you're not sure how to quite work it out, you're in the right place today. And so I'm the vocal, articulated, you know, I, I process by speaking. My wife processes by thinking and quieter, which in an argument, you can't have one if only one person is talking. So I, I would, of course, would raise the volume and, and to get a reaction from her. And uh, uh, as, uh, if all of you who respect her and love her, understand that I made her that way because she had to pray so much more uh, in conflicts. I remember a time when it was so bad. And, and how many of you know this? Like when, when one area of your life is, is jacked and screwed up and hurting, it spills over to other areas of your life. Okay, good. I'm not the only person. And I recall a time when uh, this was a, this, it was just one series of another. I was, I think it was the 14th floor of the Ronald Reagan Federal Building um, processing a labor complaint that involved me. And I was sitting in the office with the vice president of human resources for a large uh, corporation, me, and then the director of Equal Opportunity Act and um, and this was an issue that between a, a supervisor and myself that escalated beyond the conversation where I, I appealed to her as a human being and as a friend, because we had been friends. And then it went to union representation, and then it went to HR, and then it went outside the corporation to a federal level, and, and there was a suit involved, and, and, and I was the person that brought the suit. During that time also, there was another uh, job change that resulted in a 40% cut in our pay, my pay. And you know, there's, it's always easy to take a 40% increase in your pay. It's the cut in pay that sometimes can be a little challenging. And, and yet there it was. Now, by the way, the, the issues at the job involved uh, accusations uh, of theft and misappropriation and just a number of things. All of it false. Let me just give you the disclaimer right now. And um, then there was, it, I was part of a spiritual community where I'd volunteered for many years and, and uh, people knew me and, and uh, you know, I, I had at least the trust of people, if not their respect, uh, but at least there was two or three that respected me, I think. And, 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 but there was accusations of, of, of false doctrine and just issues. And, you know, it, it, within a couple of weeks, it all exploded and went south. And I discovered very quickly how you can become persona non grata in a, in a spiritual family. Phone calls stopped. People that reached to reach out to us for, uh, for companionship and friendship, there's nothing. On top of that, there was also then the challenge between my wife and I. It was, just, it was just difficult and painful. It was to the point that we could not even talk to each other. And it, it, it wasn't because we were arguing. It's just that we didn't know how to, how to build that bridge and reconnect with one another. It hurt because we did love each other, and we just didn't know how to reconnect anymore. And so our, our children were, were learning the, uh, the postal system because we would actually, so pathetic, we would actually write letters, give this to your mom. And, uh, and you know, I'd be the, Dad, Mom says to give this to you. And, and <laughs> they were sick and tired of it after a while. But they were wearing the little uniform and had the bag. And so <laughs> it was bad. I, I, I remember thinking, this is where I told you folks a few weeks ago, that it got to the point where it was so bad in so many places. It was so painful. I really just thought I, I, I needed some relief somewhere. And, and the person that I thought I trusted the most, the person that I felt cared for me the most, God, had failed. 
So I don't know if any of you have been there, where you just think, you know, what's the point in serving you? I mean, you know, can you cut me some slack? Where's the good stuff? Where's the reward? And I remember, I, I, like I said before, the, you know, the Orange Crush, 5.30, that's where every car west of the Mississippi goes to for no good reason. And I was stalled out, and I, I had this, uh, this older Mercedes. I love the car, but the air conditioning decided to fail on that day. It was like 102. And it was steaming and hot, and I remember thinking, man, this is... I, I recall actually thinking, if this is how you treat people that follow you, I want nothing to do with you. Because there was so much conflict, I didn't know how to repair it. Because I had tried to be the guy that was going to take the blows, take the loss for the sake of Christ. I tried to be the guy to exact revenge and make justice. That didn't work. I tried to be the guy that was listening, looking for wisdom and advice, and, 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 and I wasn't hearing any. And so I thought, okay, I, I'm, I'm out. I don't have anything left. And so maybe I just need nobody and nothing. And, and I'd hit the wall with everybody. And I was done. If you've ever been that person, today's for you. I thought we'd start maybe in the scriptures since this is church. So if you have a Bible, let's go to 1 Samuel 25. 1 Samuel 25, and let's read this story. A little bit of context. There's a man named David in this story. And David is, um, David is destined to be a king over a nation of people that are connected to God in a very unique way. And because of that, because of his destiny and of his future, he, he is trying to act in an appropriate manner as a would-be king should act. All right? And so he ha- he's going to have this moment where um, he's, it's not his best moment, let's just say. And then we'll see the result of the story. 1 Samuel 25, verse 4. While David was in the desert, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name and say to him, Long life to you, good health to you, and to your household, and good health to all that's yours. Hey, by the way, I hear that it's sheep shearing time. And when your shepherds were with us, we didn't mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. So ask your servants and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my young men since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. So here's what happened. David is sort of in exile. There's a king in place at this time that is not relinquishing the throne. And David has surrounded himself with a group of men that are loyal to him, warriors by, by, by trade, and, and, and they were well-known, well-renowned. And so what, what had happened is that David is saying, hey, by the way, when you, when you guys were out there and taking care of your sheep, we protected those folks, and we took care of them. And so I'm just asking, since we're out in the desert, we don't have our homes, we don't have our wives, we don't have the comforts of home, can you, can you kick us back some food? This is a very festive time for you now that all your hard work is time to shear the sheep, sell the wool, perhaps uh, you know, butcher some of the animals. And this is, this is the income. This is the time they're going to get paid for all their work. So can you please give us some of that uh, leftovers or some of the good stuff here? <laughs> Duh. Okay, so well, let's see what happens, what Nabal says. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, and, and they waited. So they gave him the message. And you kind of get that sense. Nabal's reading the letter and they're waiting. But this was Nabal's answer. Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. And why should I take my bread and water and, and the meat that I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? And anybody from Brooklyn or New York here? Good, I can make fun of them. They, don't, I, don't you get this picture? I just get this picture of this guy with a New York accent. I don't know why. 
you know, just with the hairy chest and the shirt unbuttoned way too low, and hey, who's this David? You know, and that's all I hear. I'm not sure why. Maybe I was dropped off as a child, but that's what I hear. And I just, you know, and sweaty. Just a little bit of sweaty. Hey, you know, what do we do? Maybe a little Robert De Niro. Still in there. Okay. All right. I don't even know why I said that. So David's men turned around and went back, and when they arrived, they reported every word. David said this to his men. So obviously he's lit up. It's, it's cowboy up. Put on your swords. And they put on their swords, and David put on his, and about 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. 400 angry guys with weapons and hungry. Not good. One of the servants told Nabal's wife, Abigail, David sent messengers from the desert to give our master this greeting, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They didn't mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, there was a, there was a, a wall between, uh, around us, and all the time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He's such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. So, if you picture of Nabal, he's the kind of guy that uh, maybe you have this person in your family, or he's your boss, or maybe you're that person. No one can tell you anything. You know it all. You can't be taught, you can't be told, you can't be persuaded, and whatever someone shares with you and tells you, they're wrong. Because you've made up your mind. So Abigail lost no time. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seahs of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, 200 cakes of pressed figs, loaded them onto donkeys. She told her servants, just go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she didn't tell her husband. So here's what I've noticed with people who are, who are foolish and, and, and just have very low relational social skills, is that they're often unaware of the damage they're causing. They, they blindly go through life without really a care in the world, damaging people, damaging relationships, damaging others, and everybody else behind them has to pick up the pieces. Now, maybe you have a boss like that where you're the assistant or you're the, the secretary and you're always kind of picking up for them. Maybe you have a, you're in another situation where you always have to explain for somebody else and cleaning up their messes, and this, this is that person, all right? Now, let me stop here and also say this. That, that I, I know some of you here are very bright, you have multiple degrees, or you're gifted, or you're talented, or you're winsome in other ways, but I have to tell you that your ability to succeed in your career path or in life in general will be absolutely tied to your ability to resolve conflicts. Period. I also tell you, for those of you who are single, that as you might think, you know, oh, I just can't wait to get married, or maybe you're thinking, no, I, I don't want to get married, uh, but, but either way, if whatever, generally, whatever issues, excuse me, However you resolve your conflicts at home, that's what you're taking into your married life. Now, I know what you may be thinking. Well, when I get married, I'm going to pick that person. You know, they're going to be cool. They're going to be hip. They're going to like my music. They're going to understand me. They're going to complete me. <laughs> I thought that too. And then, um, and maybe my wife thought that. And, and, and the thing is, is that how you resolve conflict with your immediate first family is how probably you're going to do it with this person. And if you don't have the skills to resolve issues with this family, you're going to have a tough time with this new family, generally speaking. That's generally how you resolve conflict. That's how you were taught. That's, how you, that's what you know. So it, it, this is probably one of the most crucial skills to develop as an adult, resolving conflict. Okay, so food goes on ahead. 
As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there was David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. David had just said, now he, now, so he's muttering to himself, right? He's riding ticked off. You ever, you ever do that when you're angry? You're talking to yourself? All right. So this is what David's doing. And he says, and it's been useless all my watching over this fellow's property in the desert so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back with evil for his good. And may God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave one man alive who belongs to him. So he's going to slaughter everybody. And this is not new to David. This is not not idle talk. He has the ability to do it. He's done it before. And he's lit up enough to do it again right now. Now, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, My Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Please let your servant speak to you. Please let your servant speak to you and hear what your servant has to say. May my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name is Fool, and folly goes with him. But as for me, your servant, I, I did not see the men my master sent. Now here's what I want you to catch. Now since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, may your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my master be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master because he fights the Lord's battles. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live, even though someone is pursuing you to take your life. The life of my master will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away from his pocket like of a sling. And when the Lord has done for my master every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him leader of over Israel, my master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when my Lord has brought my master success, remember your servant. Let me just stop here for a moment. What Abigail does is really remarkable, so let's just unwrap it a little bit. She takes ownership of a problem that's not hers. This is my fault. I blew it. And then she speaks to David and appeals to his better, higher angel, you might say. Preaches to the ideal. David, you are bound to be a king appointed by God over the people of God. This is not behavior becoming to you. The second thing is, though, but even if you do this, when you become the king, you're going to have this on your conscience. This will be part of your history. This will be part of your story. And you're better than this. And so since God has now kept you from bloodshed, kept you from this mistake, please remember us when you're in place. Ever appeal to somebody when they're on the way to doing something stupid? You go, dude, don't do this. No good can come from this. You know, please don't do this. It, it, listen, think this through. And sometimes they'll go and do it anyways. But oftentimes we can be that peacemaker that Christ so uh, honors and, and says that if you speak into someone's life and stop them from something stupid, you've actually extended peace into their life and into the lives of other people that could have destroyed So Abigail does a lot of remarkable things, and what I really appreciate about this moment is that she has this this right word at the right time, and it just sets everything well. I'm, I'm willing to bet that most of you can remember something horrible that your parents said to you. 
I mean, you, maybe you're, you can still remember a, a thing in anger your parents said, and you know, and it just it it defined you for a while. Maybe you're still processing that now. But I also am convinced that you've had a coach or a parent or an uncle or a teacher speak health and encouragement and hope into your life, and that you still hold on to as well. I can remember things my second grade teacher told me that were like a, an encouraging thing. When it comes at the right moment, it's such a powerful healing thing to speak hope into someone else's life and to speak to their higher self, to speak about what you see that's good in their lives. We all have a past. It's the future that matters. And we're not defined by our past. Well, let's go on in the story. So David said to Abigail, and he snaps out of it. He says, man, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. Wow, thank goodness that God was kind enough to stop me by sending you into my life. May you be blessed for your good judgment and keeping me from bloodshed this day, from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord of God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, I'm telling you, one male belonging to Nabal would not have been left alive by daybreak. I would have killed everyone. Your sons, your nephews, your brother, your dad, his family, anybody, any male would have been dead. Wow, thanks for stopping me. Hey, listen, let me, let me stop here for just a quick moment too. Uh, understand that when you try to take justice in your own hands, when you try to make things right in your own, to a, almost no good comes from that. It just, it just seems that everything seems to backfire on you when you try to make it right. Whether it's at work or at home, when, when you attempt to be that person to make things right by yourself, it's, uh, it's amazing. Um, when things were going wrong, I'm not going to say this. Probably English would be best. In each of those different conflicts that I was having during that two-year period, the thing at work, of which I was innocent, I remember thinking, I am trying to take the loss and be the better person here, and it keeps getting worse. In the church-family relationship thing, I recall thinking, my wife and I are not going to speak about this to anybody. It, it is, it is, what is being said about us is false. But if we try to defend ourselves, it's like boxing a shadow. You, you can't win, you'll exhaust yourself, and you just look more foolish and guilty. And so we chose at that time that we would just uh, pray and trust God that he was going to work it out. That makes sense, right? But it didn't happen work out that weekend. And so, okay, God, I'll give you another week. I know you're busy, you're running the universe. Uh, you know, things are hectic. And so we gave it a month. And then three months. And then there was the year. Then it was going on two years. And I got to tell you, I noticed that he doesn't have the same sense of urgency that I thought he should. And um, in that situation, um, a chance meeting with the senior pastor at that church led to an official apology from the elders and the pastor to my wife and I for what they had done to us. Now, I can tell you that it was difficult to suck it up because everything cried in myself and my being, this is not fair, this is not right. And you're not doing much anything, you know. Where are you in this whole matter? My wife, who is one of many followers that I know, but the one I know the, the best, um, had a, a similar situation go on for two or three years. It was her and another deal, and I'll give out too much details, 
it was so painful and so difficult for it. When you see your wife go through a challenge, you know, as a man, you want to go take care of it. You want to show them how a man acts. And, uh, and uh, you know, which would not be healthy. Um, and goodness, she would tell me, I, I'm going to trust that God is going to resolve this. And he did. To not only to her benefit, but for everyone's health and healing. See, you know, here's what I notice when we try to make things right. We try to make things right for ourselves. Especially when you've been falsely accused. Right? I mean, if you're, if you're accused of doing something you didn't do, that seems just to raise up some sort of energy that just is maddening. I mean, if, you, if you're told you did something wrong, you really did, it's like, eh, well, you know what, you got me. You did. I did do that. But it's somehow that's just, that's just so hard to take. All right, let's finish the story up a little bit. So David accepted from her hand, verse 35, what she had been brought and said to him, listen, go home in peace. I've heard your words. I've granted you your, your request. David says, wow, man, this is, God, God has been so kind to me. Abigail is relaxed. They're eating food. They're enjoying it. Everyone's great. So Abigail goes home to her husband, and he was in the house holding the banquet like a king. And he was in high spirits and very drunk. And so she told him nothing until daybreak. And Boy, can you imagine Abigail? She sees her husband just like, dude, you came so close. Dude, you have no idea. But, you know, he's drunk. How's she got to explain that to him? You know, and he's like a drunk Robert De Niro. And then, um, I don't even know why Robert De Niro, but it works. Where am I at? Oh, verse 36. When and Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house. Oh, verse 37. Then in the morning, when Nabal was sober... His wife told him all these things, and his heart failed him, and he became like a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. And when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Wow, praise be to the Lord, who has upheld my case against Nabal. <laughs> all right, you killed him. Awesome. Thanks, God. And um... <laughs> uh, Okay, all right, Dave, good guy. Maybe not his most stellar moment. But at any rate, it's telling you the story, just what happened. I think he's happy for another reason. I'll tell you why. Here you go. Um, he has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down in his head. Then David sent to Abigail to ask her to become his wife. Awesome. This is really working out well for the king. His servant went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to talk to you to become his wife. So she waited several, several months and thought about it. No, she bowed down with her face to the ground and said, here's your maidservant ready to serve. I'm out. Finally free. Done. And uh, so she quickly got on the donkey, tended her five maids, and went with David's messengers and became his wife. Let me stop here for just a moment. <laughs> Poor Abigail, married to a guy like that. You know, it is what it is. Okay. This reminds me of a story. Uh, my wife and I... and. You know, I guess it was more, but I told you how my obsession with reading obituaries. My wife and I would often talk about what we would do when we die, like how we're, you know what we're going to do, how we tell the kids, all that whole thing. And so once when we were driving, and she, I, we were discussing this thing. She goes, "Gosh, if you died, I, I would just never marry again." And I'm of course thinking, "Who could fill my shoes?" You know, I mean. Once you've had a taste, I mean, anything else would just leave you unsatisfied. And, uh, and I'm, just, I'm thinking about how marvelous I am. And, 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 and a second later, she said, I just couldn't go through this again. 
<laughs> keep driving, keep driving. <laughs> what it was so funny about it, there was, there was no attempt at humor. That's the thing that hurts. It's like, God, has it been that bad? Yes. <laughs> ah, 30 years, 30 years. Wow. All right, back to this. Um, before we bring David up. Have you noticed that when, if you're a person that, that reads the scriptures on a regular basis, that you're never the bad guy? I mean, you're never the Pharisee. Have you noticed that? You're never one of the people that heckle Jesus. You're always like, if Jesus is over here, you're right behind him. <laughs> That's right. That's my boy. And, and you're never the person over here on this side. See, but in this story, I, I bet you you could find yourself in all these characters. Some of us have been David. Not at our best. We know better, but we just don't act and live up to our ideals. Some of us have been Abigail, where we've been that peacemaker, we've been that person that could actually you know, bring peace and healing and restoration to a situation. Some of us have been Nabal, you know, you've been that guy. But uh, in this story, I think we can find ourselves, and the question resolves is, resolving conflict is kind of complicated, isn't it? Because this is why churches are messy, this is why families are messy, this is why... Work is messy. Any kind of relationship is messy because it involves the one most crucial factor in every conflict. People. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.